You want to help the cause read. You want to help the cause study. And Jamie, when I was 19 years old and I saw the Emmett Till story, from that day forward, I would go to the library. People ask me, do you know this artist and this artist? Have you seen that movie? And Jamie, I'm embarrassed to say, no, I haven't. Why? I wasn't watching movies, Jamie. I was in the library and I was studying souls of the black folks. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm telling you? succeeding against the odds. You're not hearing what I'm telling you. I start reading the Mayflower. Uh, uh, make me want to holler, Nathan McCall. How you hearing what I'm saying? I'm telling you today that you got to get in the boat. And some of you, you think you're doing something because you're standing by the boat. You think you're doing something because you're around the boat. You think you're doing something because you call the people name out who in the boat. You think you're doing something because you cheer. You think you're doing something. You ain't doing nothing until you make a commitment. What if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is a year we've all been waiting for? Um, a year so uncomfortable and so painful and so scary and so raw that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather one of the most important years of them all. The Midweek Muscle Podcast. The Midweek. The Midweek Muscle Podcast starts now. Hey, everybody. This is Jay Z bringing you your dose of the Midweek Muscle. Good morning. Good afternoon or good evening or whenever you're deciding to listen to this cast, I thank you for joining us this week and today. Um, that piece that you heard before the episode started, that was from, um, I guess, an author. Her name is Leslie Dwight. And I saw that and it resonated with me because I feel like amongst all of you, uh, Minus the ignorant slumber, right? <laughs> but if I don't take that personally, as I hope you didn't either, um, just talking about collectively, like everyone, not just everyone in your circle or everyone in my circle, but just across the board. Like, you know, there's some, there's some people that are sleeping, sleep to some of these things that are going on, like don't even know, um, and I find that quite interesting uh, because it's just been, it's been very, very loud. Uh, these last few months have been very, very loud. Um, and so uh, I, I just wanted to share that because it spoke with me. Uh, it resonated with me about all of these emotions and what is it calling us to do in this moment. And and we could see any adversity as reasons to quit, or we can see adversity as a way to be resilient. It is studied uh, that a way to build resiliency is to experience 
positive people in adverse situations. That's a way to build resiliency. Sticking close to someone positive in order to help you overcome the challenges. Sticking with someone who uh, is considered in the eyes of the, the research in the study world is a protective factor. As long as you are going through adversity, but you remain close to one protective factor, another caring person, a caring adult, a mentor, a friend who has wisdom, who knows your character and has a great foundation, those are all people who become protective factors. That even includes doctors, nurses, therapists, etc. Um, and so therefore, through these trying times, building resiliency is a difficult thing because it is a lot of pain, but there and there's a lot of struggles and, and, and there's an uphill mountain to climb, but at least you're not doing it alone. And uh, so that really resonated with me, good people. Um, there's a lot of things that have been resonating with me over the last week. I almost feel like when a day passes, uh, I didn't miss like a week's worth of information, <laughs> uh, because there's so much happening on a daily basis. And even as we sit here and listen, uh, back and forth, you know, even as we hear on the news, even as we sit and have discussions and conversations, incidences are still happening. And so again, this wasn't just one big massive event that just sort of, you know, created it all. There's history behind what you're seeing as it pertains to race relations and protests all over the world. And you've been, if you're following me on social media, you've been seeing some of the demonstrations and what they look like. But within these last few days, you know, I, I just want to, I want to take the time to just acknowledge what has transpired since then. Um, and, uh, we, within those days of protests, uh, let's, let's go through a couple places. Minneapolis, uh, has banned the use of chokeholds on, um, uh, offenders, right? Uh, the charges against the officers have been upgraded um, and more officers were actually charged. Now, that doesn't mean conviction, so we get it. But at the end of the day, at least there's charges filed. Um, Dallas adopts a duty to intervene rule that requires officers to stop other officers who are engaging in an inappropriate use of force. New Jersey's attorney general said the state will update its use of force guidelines for the first time in two decades, if you don't know, 20 years. In Maryland, a bipartisan work group of state lawmakers announced a police reform work group. Um, there's, there's so many other things, and I could keep the list going, but I, I globally, protests against racial equality inequality sparked by the police killing of George Floyd are taking place all over the world. Like that's unheard of. Um, rallies and memorials have been held in cities across Europe, as well as in Mexico, Canada, Brazil, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, as the U S contends with the second week of protests, issues of racism, police brutality, and oppression, uh, have been brought to light across the globe. Um, 
people all over the world understand their own fights for human rights, for equality and fairness will become so much more difficult to win if we are going to lose America as a place where I have a dream is a real and universal political program. Wolfgang Isinger, a former German ambassador to the U.S., told The New Yorker, that is strong. That is strong, good people. Um, you know, I, there's there's collectively a mural dedicated to George Floyd was spray painted on a stretch of the wall in Berlin, once divided by the German capital during the Cold War. In Ireland, protesters held a peaceful demonstration outside of Belfast City Hall and others gathered outside of the U.S. Embassy in Dublin. In Canada, protesters were also grieving for Regis Korczynski Packet, a 29-year-old Black woman who died on Wednesday after falling from her balcony during a police investigation at her building. New Zealand, roughly 2,000 people marched to the U.S. Embassy in Auckland, chanting and carrying signs demanding justice. Memorials have been built, flowers, candles have been laid, uh, murals in Syria have been uh, created. Uh, on the northwestern town of Benish, on a wall destroyed by military planes, um, there has been a shift and an awakening. And this is what equally contest to the, 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 the poem or the statement before of the ignorant slumber. If people were asleep or had no idea that these things were happening, the world is waking up to it. The world is becoming aware of it. So if you've ever sat in the U.S. in your little town, in your little home, I'm not calling your home little, just, you know, just relatively speaking to globally. If you've ever sat in your, your place, your place with your people or sat in your town or sat in your home or sat in your school or sat in your place of work and isolated yourself off and said, it's me. Why am I feeling this way? It must be me because I don't know of anyone else who's going through this. Newsflash. You just found out that there are thousands, if not millions of people that are experiencing the exact same thing you are. They just maybe didn't have the courage to speak up, speak out, or, 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 or intervene in ways that would benefit or validate your feelings. And so I say to you, good people, if you sit here and you listen and you're wondering and you're, and you're hoping and you're, and you're, and you're mulling over some things, I want to say, like, we talked about the things that have happened as far as publicized information, as, as, as far as quantifiable things that have happened, but let's briefly shift to the things that we cannot quantify. Let's talk about the conversations that are now being had in between families in their homes. Let's talk about the countless people who have chimed in and asked, Hey, how are you doing? Hey, I just want you to know that I don't have it all right, but I want to learn or, Hey, I am willing to talk or how about the, the self-reflection that exists? Like, Hey, maybe I do things that, may not be all the way um, considered fair. Or maybe I don't always step in when I see something unfair. 
See, here's the thing. There's some amazing people out there that just do incredible things, but maybe they don't step in when they notice that something isn't right. And that's too a part of the self-reflection. Or the internal battles that people are having within themselves and, and, and having conversations in organizations over issues that have been simmering for a very, very long time. See, these are the things that you cannot quantify, but they're happening in a way that hasn't happened before. And so for all of my dear friends who have reached out over the weeks and the days and the hours, I thank you. I can't, it's, it's really hard at this point to keep up. Um, but I do tell you that, man, if nothing else, I desire to be a platform that is here for you and work for you and value you in a way that encourages your heart to help you get over the head and heart issues that face us every single day. This is one of them. And so again, uh, this show would not be what it is without the collective input from the people around me. And so instead of me talking on and on and on and on about what I think and what I think to be true, last week I brought you a, a vignette or a montage of people expressing their sheer feelings. And those were gathered from people like you and me, um, they were gathered from news sources. They were gathered from talk shows and, 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 and all of the press conferences, etc. And I aim to do the same thing today. And, and really the reason why is because in honoring and valuing the people that are le- leaning in, like legit leaning in, I almost don't even have the words for everything that I'm going to share. I think there are some things that are and will be politically um, charged. There are some statements that are politically, and excuse me, there are some statements that are just emotionally charged. Um, there is some choice language. There is some strong language yet again in this episode. And, and for those of you who like to listen openly and you feel like you have to close the doors or, or (laughs) barricade the doors from kiddos running around, I'm sorry. I generally do not like to do that, but I, I think it's, it's very necessary. One, as to not mute the intensity of the person speaking, but also to magnify uh, the passion in their hearts. And you can hear it without the language, but sometimes it just gets hard to edit. Y'all get what I'm saying. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it, it just, it just show, it showcases the inevitable. It showcases what is very real. Um, so if you have young listeners around, I advise you um, that there is some strong content. Um, and I also, I tip my hat to um, all of the sources uh, that have been submitted in this cast. Now, I will say this is a disclaimer that uh, the speakers represented in this podcast, I do not own them. I do not have affiliation with them. Um, However, 
the thoughts and ideas and views represented by the speakers presented may not necessarily represent the views of Jay-Z and the Midweek Muscle Podcast. However, it it creates dosage of what is available on display collectively on the World Wide Web or other sources. Um, therefore, without further ado, let's get started. What's really interesting about what's happening in America right now is that a lot of people don't seem to realize how dominoes connect, how one piece knocks another piece that knocks another piece, and in the end creates a giant wave. Each story seems completely unrelated, and yet at the same time, I feel like everything that happens in the world connects to something else in some way, shape, or form. And I think this news, this news cycle that we witnessed in the last week was a perfect example of that. Amy Cooper, George Floyd, and you know the people of Minneapolis. Amy Cooper was, for many people, I think, the catalyst. And by the way, I should mention that all of this is like against the backdrop of coronavirus. You know, people stuck in their houses for one of the longest periods we can remember. People losing more jobs than every anyone can ever remember. Um, people struggling to make do more than they can ever remember. And I think all of that compounded by the fact that there seems to be no genuine plan from leadership. Like no one knows what's going to happen. You know, no one knows how long they're supposed to be good, how long they're supposed to stay inside, how long they're supposed to flatten the curb. No one knows any of these things. And so what happens is you have a group of people who are stuck inside, all of us as society, we're stuck inside, and we then start to consume. We see what's happening in, in the world. And I think Amy Cooper was one of the first moments that, that you know, one of the first dominoes that, that, that we saw get knocked down post-corona for many people. And that was a world where you quickly realize that while everyone is facing the battle against coronavirus, black people in America are still facing the battle against racism and coronavirus. And the reason I say it's a domino is because think about how many black Americans just have read and seen the news of how black people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And not because of something inherently inside black people, but rather because of the lives black people have lived in America for so long. You know, coronavirus exposed all of it. And now here you had this woman who, we've all seen the video now, blatantly, blatantly knew how to use the power of, of, of her whiteness to threaten the life of another man and his blackness. What we saw with her was a really, really powerful, explicit example of, of an understanding of racism in a structural way. When she looked, when she looked at, 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 at that man, when she looked at Cooper and she said to him, I'm gonna call 911 and I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And that in itself is telling, you know? It tells you how she perceives the police. It tells you how she perceives her perception or her relationship with the police as a white woman. It shows you how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and the police's relationship with him it's it was it was really it was it was it was powerful
Because so many people act like they don't know what, what, what black Americans are talking about when they said, and yet Amy Cooper had a distinct understanding. She was like, oh, I know. I know that you're, you're afraid of in interacting with the police because there is a presumption of your guilt because of your blackness. I know that as a white woman, I can weaponize this tool against you. And I know that by the time we've sifted through who was right or wrong, there's a good chance that you will have lost in some way, shape or form. And so for me, that was, that was the first domino. And so now you, you're living in a world where so many people are watching this video. So many people are being triggered because in many ways it was like a, it was like a gotcha. You know, it was like a, it was like, it was like the curtain had been pulled back. Aha. So you do this because it's always been spoken about, but this was like, it was powerful to see it being used. And I think a lot of people were triggered by that. A lot of people, a lot of people were like, damn, we, we knew it was real, but this is like real, real, you know, this person got murdered on camera. And then the police were fired. Great. But I, I think what people take for granted is, is, is how much for so many people that feels like nothing, you know? How, how, how many of us as, as human beings can take the life of another human being and then have firing be the worst thing that happens to us? And yes, we don't know where the case will go, don't get me wrong, but it just, it, it feels like there is no moment of justice. There is no, you know, if you're watching a movie, you'd at least want the cops, you'd wanna see the perpetrators in handcuffs. You'd wanna see the perpetrators facing some sort of justice. Yes, they might come out on bail, etc. But I think there's a lot of catharsis that comes with seeing that justice being doled out. When the riots happened, that for me was an interesting culmination of everything. I saw so many people online saying, these riots are disgusting. This is not how a society should be run. You do not loot and you do not burn and you do not, this is not how our society is built. And that, that actually triggered something in me where I was like, man, okay, society, what, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we say, amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules, common ideals, and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are, who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people, what vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Why, like, why don't we all loot? Why, why don't, why doesn't everybody take, why doesn't, because we've agreed on things. There are so many people who are starving out there. There's so many people who don't have, there's so many people, there are people who are destitute. There are people who, when the virus hits and they don't have a second paycheck already broke, which is insane, but that's, that's the reality. But still think about how many people who don't have, the have nots say, you know what? I'm still going to play by the rules, even though I have nothing, because I still wish for this society to work and exist. I've been seeing a lot of things talking of the people making commentary. Um, interestingly enough, the ones I've noticed that have been making the commentary are wealthy black people making the commentary about we should not be um, 
rioting, we should not be looting, we should not be tearing up our own communities. And then there's been an argument of the other side of we should be hitting them in the pocket. We should be focusing on the blackout days where we don't spend money. Um, but, you know, I feel like we should do both. And I feel like I support both. And I'll tell you why I support both. I support both because there, when you have a civil unrest like this, there are three type of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to fuck shit up. And that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why, and that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting that's their only opportunity to get it we need to be questioning that why why are people that poor why are people that broke why are people that that food insecure that clothing insecure that they feel like their only shot that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you, and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money, I didn't allow you to have anything on the board, I didn't allow for you to have anything, and then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly, and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa, that was Rosewood, there are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them, and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play. And every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game.
They burn your cards. They burn your monopoly money. And then, finally, at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now, at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have. That if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. And right now, white people are really frightened. If you don't understand the destruction of Planned Parenthood uh, offices, and you don't understand the wall that we're going to build on the southern border of the United States, you haven't read the book The Birth Dearth by Ben Wattenberg. Ben Wattenberg was a brilliant Jewish man who was a member of the American Enterprise Institute. And he wrote a book, the first paragraph of which says, the main problem confronting the United States today is there aren't enough white babies being born in this country. He was an advisor to presidents of the United States. He wrote the book in 1987. He says, there are, if we don't change this and change it rapidly, white people will lose their numerical majority in this country and this will no longer be a white man's land. Now, I'm not misrepresenting this. I'm telling you exactly, almost exactly what he says. He says, there are three things we can do to solve this. Number one, we could pay women to have babies as they have been doing in Western European nations for years. Then he says, and these are his words, not mine, Unfortunately, we would have to pay women of all colors to have babies, so we don't want to do that. He says the second thing we could do is increase the number of legal immigrants that are allowed into this country every year. Then once again, he says, unfortunately, the vast majority of those wanting to come to this country today are people of color, so we don't want to do that. The third thing, he says, and white men, women had better pay attention to this, 60% of the fetuses that are aborted every year are white. If we could keep that 60% alive, that would solve our birth dearth. Does that sound like racism to you? Can you talk a little bit about the trauma associated with? The trauma associated with it? Yeah. One of the main traumas is, 
It tells white people that they are superior because of the lack of melanin in their skin. And then they find out suddenly that we've got a black president. That's traumatic. That's where the trauma is. Living a lie, finding out the truth, is traumatic. Finding out now, recently, that within 30 years, white people will be in the numerical minority in this country is going to be traumatic. White people are scared to death right now, particularly white males. They're scared to death that they are going to lose their power in the future. And they are. But if you want to get ready for the future, if you want to be treated well in the future, treat others well in the present. What we do in the present constructs the future. We called the Japanese, and you'll pardon me, but this is what we called them, slant-eyed little yellow mm -hmm. We didn't say that about the Germans. After the war, we rebuilt Germany and Japan, and we get along beautifully with the Japanese. That was in 1945 that we finally won that war. How, ma how many years ago was that? Figure that out quickly. I'm not a math person, but... You're not a math time. person, but you know it wasn't that far. Right. And it didn't take 50 years for us to, to have peace with the Japanese and the Germans. Even though, even though, we dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. The Japanese hadn't killed 10 million people. Nowhere near that. We didn't drop any bombs on Germany. Any, any atomic bombs on Germany. They were a different kind of people. We couldn't afford to do that. We killed... How many Japanese people with two atomic bombs? And they forgave us. You want to talk about forgiveness? You want to talk about changing this thing? I cannot understand how Japanese people can stand the sight of any of us. And yet they do. I cannot understand why black people who have been subjected to the ugliness that they've been subjected to in this country can get up every morning and go to work among us and not be absolutely furious. And I don't understand why we allow white people to behave the way they do. I don't understand that. And my third graders, after they'd gone through the exercise, couldn't understand it and wouldn't tolerate it. And when they went up to junior high and a junior high teacher used the N-word, one of my, my former students said, if you're going to use that word, I'm going to go out in the hall until you stop using it because we don't use that word in this school. That was a, sixth, a seventh grader who told his teacher off. When we have enough students who are willing to confront people who are making racist, sexist, ageist, homophobic statements, we're going to be better off. We have got to stop tolerating the intolerable. If it's intolerable for my black cousins, and every black person on this earth is one of my cousins, if it's intolerable for them, it's intolerable for me. I will not tolerate it. I will not tolerate it. That is not... that. I am required not to tolerate that kind of treatment for the people who are related to me. And that's every person on the face of the earth. If your ignorance is such that you'll mistreat somebody because of your ignorance about the color of their skin, don't do it around me. Number one, I've been threatened with death lots of times. Now I say, go for it, fool. My husband died four years ago. Being with him would not be a bad thing for me. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Living a worthless, useless life is much worse than dying. I'm Byron F. Wilson, founder of the Wilson Academy. The riots that have taken place all over the country and now all over the world are inevitable. And contrary to the opinions of some, the riots are both effective and necessary. The problem is, it's not a sustainable path to what we want. But then what next? What are we supposed to do? That's what this message is about what we're going to do. Young people, my college students, my high school students, 
you're ready to act. You're ready to fight. But no one's listening to you. They just keep telling you to go home. But I hear you, and we have a plan. In order to find a solution, we must first understand why this is happening. The reason that officers of the law and private citizens acting as if they're officers of the law continue to murder us is because we can offer no consequence. For example, the reason you don't see Jewish people being murdered by police is because the Jewish community can provide economic consequences. They own things collectively. They're well invested in the media and the law. And they've built a strong community by focusing on exclusive internal growth and wealth building. But when members of the black community are murdered by white officers or vigilantes, we peacefully protest, focus on whatever election is upcoming, and ultimately there are no convictions for the criminals. There's something that we missed about how the civil rights movement was effective. Protesting was just the beginning. It was to unify the people and bring attention to the issue. But the next step was always economic action, boycotting, investing in our communities. Then that economic action is what forced legislation. The reason our efforts continue to fail is because we first of all keep asking for change instead of forcing it. But secondly, because we keep skipping a critical step in the process. So what do we want? Well, in the short term, we demand justice. In the long term, we demand reform but we must be specific if we are to hold our nation accountable. So we demand three things. One, we demand convictions and equitable and appropriate prison time for all officers involved in the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and all parties involved in the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery. Two, we demand legislation that ensures independent review of public safety officers. And three, we demand a modification to the standards by which officers can be prosecuted. I'm sure you've heard people say, if you want change, get to the polls. Now, I'm not suggesting voting is useless, but the reality is voting will not solve our problems. In fact, we cannot allow ourselves to become distracted by political affiliations. The only way to get the change we seek is to show strength both economically and physically. So first, let's address physical strength. It is both irrational and un-American for us to continue to be met with force and not respond in kind. This is why we need all able black Americans to exercise their constitutional rights and legally acquire a firearm. Perhaps Ahmaud Arbery would be alive right now had he been able to defend himself against the thugs who lynched him. And under Georgia's stand your ground laws, well, he would have been within his legal rights. To all my gangbangers, my bloods, my crips, GDs, folk, everybody, I'm asking you to help us protect our communities from the white supremacist groups who would harm us. You are already armed and you're not afraid to die. I hope that you see fit to call a truce and unite against a greater common enemy in order to protect our children, our mothers, our sisters, aunties, and grandmothers. Now we must address how we fight economically. America doesn't particularly care about black life. If it did, we wouldn't still be facing what we're facing right now. What America does care about is black dollars. So we have to start speaking America's language. Effective immediately, we will only buy food from black-owned restaurants. This does not apply to grocery stores, as we don't feel there are enough black-owned grocery stores nationwide at this point to accommodate the initiative. However, there are many grocery items you can find on sites like webuyblack.com. 
Now, our Black-Owned Restaurant Initiative means that you will need to avoid many of your favorite restaurants, but you will discover new Black-Owned favorites. And you must ask yourself what's more important. Understand that this is only Phase 1 of a larger plan. We will implement Phase 2 in the weeks to come. But this is something that everyone can do. So what's the point? And why will this work? According to both Nielsen and the CDC, Black people eat more fast food than anyone. By diverting our billions of dollars, we will accomplish two things. One, change is not free. Supporting only black restaurants keeps our money in our communities, money we can ultimately leverage to create the changes we all want to see. And two, it uses our money, money we're already spending anyway, to create powerful billionaire allies. These companies will do what is necessary to get our dollars back. And if that means helping us to meet our objectives, well, then that's what they'll do. There are a few important notes to make when concerning this plan. This is not a boycott. We are not punishing white businesses. We are simply consumers who are making a choice to exclusively support black restaurants and the strategic interest of justice and reform. Please note that we are exclusively supporting black-owned restaurants, not minority-owned. The terms black and minority are not interchangeable. So, to my Chinese, Korean, Arabic, and Indian restaurant owners, we have nothing against you personally. But if we don't do this now, there will be none of us left to buy your products anyway. If a franchise location is owned by a black person, eat at that location exclusively. We will not harm our own people. There are websites like eatblackowned.com that you can use to find black-owned restaurants in your area. But I'm confident that once everyone learns of our initiative, they'll let you know how to find them. We will not support non-equitable services. We will support black restaurants that offer the quality and service we deserve. And if we have a negative experience, we will not generalize and say, see, this is why I don't support black businesses. We will simply express our concerns to the management. And if we so choose, we just won't go back to that particular restaurant, just as we would behave with a restaurant that isn't black owned. This is not a one day event. Did you know that the famous Montgomery bus boycott lasted over a year? 381 days to be exact. It takes time and consistency to have impact, just as it took time and consistency to implement the racist constructs we are fighting. We will continue with our strategy until our demands are met. At times, this will not be easy. You will be tempted to stray. But please accept that there can be no change without sacrifice. A brief message to white Americans. We don't hate you. We don't hate America. We just need it to work for us in the same way it works for you. Please stop saying all lives matter. Saying all lives matter is like one house in a subdivision is on fire. Fire truck arrives and you ask the fireman to douse your house with water, even though it's not on fire, because your house is important too. We've been asking for equality for hundreds of years now. Please process that. Understand, we're done asking. This word you see on my shirt is ukurua, is Zulu, it means fight. Black people, I need us to know that we are bigger than slavery. Our existence didn't begin when we became useful to America. We have our own continent, our own African culture, our own independent history. We are better than begging to not be murdered. The time has come for us to fight, and now we know how. Now this plan cannot work if people don't know about it. So if you do nothing else, it's important that you share this post or the link to this post on all your social media. And whenever you mention the plan, 
please use the hashtag HowWeFight. You can find a hard copy of the plan at thewilsonacademy.org. Remember, hashtag HowWeFight. Share the post. Good people, I know that was a lot. I mean, again, it's heavy, but I think in order to be able to understand what is happening out there, it's like you almost have to dig into the heart of what is happening. And and uh, we always say, you know, just um, when we're working with audiences or when we're working with groups of people, it has been advised by the experts to say, you know, well, when you're thinking about why you're in a place of distress or why you're in a place uh, of, of, of like just anguish, how full is your heart? And based on whatever ranking is given on how full that person's heart is, you can start to peel back the layers for why, for why that pain exists. Like, the, the rejection, the, the abuse, the shame, the ridicule, the, the, the adverse situations that they're in. And again, it's no shame on anyone that doesn't feel that way. It's just understanding the heartbeat of the people who, who might be feeling something. And if, and, 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 and I think that having, um, Trevor Noah's explanation backed up with um a a a woman uh that that is expressing like a, a very personal view of what that looks like uh then to to uh Jane Elliott um and then to Byron F Wilson um these collectively are viewpoints and theories of what is taking place. I don't think any of us have a crystal ball as to this is the why, and this is how we solve it, which is why it's so chaotic. And you've heard me talk about it several episodes ago. You know, when there's a lack of understanding and there's adverse behavior, it's chaos. And so chaos, you, you, you understand that there's no certainty around it. However, you can uh, you can help bridge some gaps when you can start to understand what some of the theories are that are out there now. Just because it's out there doesn't mean you take it on its face. Do there there's research to be done, right? But I wouldn't be doing my part collectively as a black woman podcaster sitting here wondering, well, where's my part in this, and what am I supposed to do? And I think the most important thing is. Sometimes collectively we have anguish because we're not on the ground floor marching and protesting and activism like we see happening all over the place. But what if, just what if your act of protest is you starting to have the conversation? What if your act of protest is reaching out to someone and saying, I am thankful for you, friend, and I'm here. What if your act of protest is the internal self-reflection? What if your act of protest is, man, they're out there doing the hard stuff, but guess what? I'm in here doing the hard stuff too. 
I'm mentally pushing myself to finish so I can acquire a degree to help forward the path or forward the journey of young black professionals who have advanced degrees as well. How to pave the way. We're pioneers in different ways, people. We're pioneers in different ways. And don't feel jaded because you're not out there pushing and marching with, with everybody else. And I mean, that's a great thing. If you go and do it, please do. Like I want nothing more in my heart, but to go and do that. But as I sit here and I share this episode, just know that I am sharing collectively what is happening. It's not just one-sided. It's not just single-sided. These, everybody who's contributed or added or given me something It has been vetted. It has been listened to three or four or five times over on top of the schoolwork. It has been researched and resourced. And it's like, listen, like, man, we're not going to get it all right. But at least if we can start pooling and gathering information, you can't say you have none, right? And so good people, I'll leave you with this this week. I, I, I hope by sharing this that you, you, you gather some insight or at minimum you have information. I hope that at least if nothing else that you feel like, man, you heard something different or you heard something new or you heard something that's like, okay, I feel encouraged by that. Good people if nothing else. And you just want to share what your thoughts and opinions are. The door is open. You can find me on all social medias, Jay-Z at themidweekmuscle.com or on all social media platforms at The Midweek Muscle. Hey guys, you know, I think this is a continuation. Um, I, I want to share more of collective thoughts around the, at least from around the United States, right? Um, if I could have some global friends chime in, that would be excellent. This is my call. Um, but, uh, I I really, really, really want you to know from the bottom of my heart that this was created to help add perspective, peaceful and positive perspective to help us get over the obstacles we face every single day. And so I ask that if you were here for the first time and you've listened all the way to this point, thank you so very much. You made it to the end of the episode. Um, it's a little longer than usual. I get that. Uh, but we're not business as usual. And so because of that, uh, we'll pick things up next week. And as always, I'll see you here in the middle of the week, next week, same time, same place. And as always, As always, let's go.